Hey friends, uh, it's Greg Johnson here. Uh, good to be with you this morning. I'm a member of the teaching team here at Sanctuary, and uh, we're just going to begin this morning with a reading of the scripture. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, and we'll start at verse 16. And Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then he writes, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, have you ever been uh, searching for something, maybe in your house, and you end up in some room and you forget what you're looking for? Like, you know you went down to the basement for some reason, but once you get there, you just can't remember why. It's actually possible in the process of seeking something to forget what it is you're seeking, what it is you're looking for. Sometimes we need to pause for a minute and remember, what was I looking for? Sometimes when you're searching on the web, your Chrome or your Safari freezes. And if you want the search to resume, you've got to hit refresh. Well, we've been looking for something, seeking after something as a church for a while. We've been, ever since Sanctuary Church began, we've been seeking God for something. And like, like Andrew's favorite uh, singer, Bono, says, we still haven't found what we're looking for. But when you've been looking for something long enough, it's possible for your search process to stall out. It's possible to forget what you're looking for. And so periodically, we have to hit refresh. We have to remind ourselves, what are we looking for again? And so in my opinion, January is the best month of the year to hit refresh. And so this morning and really all month, we're hitting refresh on our search as a church. We're reminding ourselves, what are we here to seek first? And that's what this month is all about. And really, as a church, we're called to seek God for revival. And so this morning, I want to remind us what that means. What is revival? Why are we seeking God for revival? And what does this mean for us as we launch into 2022? So revival is a breakthrough of God's kingdom. It's a breakthrough of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is that realm where God is the king. It's the place where what God wants to happen, happens. Someone's called it the range of God's effective will. The kingdom of God can exist inside a human heart. It can exist in a human life. It can exist in a community, in a church. At times, it can even take over an entire city or nation. And when God's kingdom breaks in, it leaves behind a new normal. It leaves behind fruit. It leaves behind really good stuff, and we call it revival. Has anyone seen uh, Narnia recently? Uh, if you're looking for great winter, it's not really Christmas anymore, but it's a great winter movie too, because when we first see Narnia, it's winter. It's under the spell of the White Witch, and it's always winter, and it's never Christmas. But then Aslan's kingdom breaks in. Aslan shows up and the snow begins to melt and the birds start singing and the grass comes out and things get green and the rule of the white witch is ended. And no, this is a perfect metaphor for revival. And we need revival, especially in our Western society. 
because we've been living for a very long time in a season of spiritual winter and we need the Lord, Aslan, Jesus to come melt the snow. And so in a post-Christian society like ours, a culture that's turning away from God, a culture that wants the trappings of the kingdom without Jesus as the king, the church really only has four options. We can fight. We can fight our culture wars. We can storm the capital. Uh, it's not really a good look for us, and it really never works. The kingdom never comes by force. It never comes by an alliance with political power. We can, we can run away. We can choose flight. We can run away from a decaying culture. We can seek enclaves where we can try to protect our precious faith from the big, bad culture around us, but that rarely works either. Um, this is what Jesus was talking about when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't hide your light under a bowl. We can camouflage. We can just change our faith to fit the times we're in. We can blend our faith in with the spirit of the age. This is called syncretism. This is what Jesus was talking about when he says, don't let your salt lose its saltiness. Or we can seek God for revival, for an inbreaking of his reign in our time, in our place. And every time where a culture was renewed or transformed, it was the result of God's movement and revival. So we can't cause revival, but we can be ready for it. So here's what I want to say about the break-in of the kingdom. When the kingdom breaks in, it breaks in in three ways. It breaks in in word, deed, and power. As you look at this, you can see uh, revival is a breakthrough in word. The message of the kingdom is proclaimed. Jesus is Lord. This is announced. Revival is a breakthrough indeed. This same message is embodied in actions. People start living as if Jesus is Lord. Mercy and justice and reconciliation and righteousness. And this is what I want to focus on today. Revival is also a breakthrough in power. So in revival, the gospel message that Jesus is Lord isn't just proclaimed. It isn't just embodied even. It's demonstrated. It's validated, it's authenticated by signs and wonders and works of power. So word, deed, and power. All three are essential. It's kind of like if you ever look at a TV screen or a projector or a stage light, you'll see that they have three colors, red, green, and blue. Um, and only when all three colors are shining do we see what looks like white light. Do we see an accurate presentation of what's in front of us? The human eye, by the way, has three kinds of color sensors, red, green, and blue. And so if we're missing one of the colors, we don't see the full picture. If we're missing word or deed or power, we won't see the full kingdom. Think about Jesus. He had all three colors shining in his ministry. He announced the kingdom with words. He embodied the kingdom with deeds. He demonstrated the kingdom with power. The apostles had all three. So if you look at um, Romans chapter 15, Paul writes, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. And in this way, I fully proclaimed the gospel of God from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. So Paul says, what I've said, what I've done, and by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. And in these ways, what he's said, what he's done, 
what he's, what, what he's demonstrated in power, he's fully proclaimed the gospel. And so, by extension, if he was missing words, or he's missing deeds, or he was missing power, it wouldn't have been a full proclamation. So when revival comes to a church, it, it, and when it comes fully, it comes in these three ways. And if a church is not open to one of these breakthroughs, word, deed, or power, it's going to stop revival short. It'll put limits on what God wants to do. So say we're fine, Let's, we're fine talking about Jesus, but we don't want to pursue justice or feed hungry people. It's going to limit revival. Or say we're fine with justice, but we don't want to talk about Jesus or the cross or the re resurrection or the fact that he claims to be Lord. It will limit revival. And if we say we're fine with either of these things, but we're not comfortable with experiencing the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we don't think the Spirit still does things, still heals, still reveals truth. Or maybe we're just used to running things and we don't want to cede control to the Spirit of God. It's going to limit revival. And so we need to be open to all of them. And finally, at the center of revival is love. And it's so important. Love is the driving motivation for, all, for the kingdom of God in all these ways. Power without love is worthless, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Words without love are a clanging symbol. Deeds without love gain us nothing. So I think if sanctuary wants to be open to revival this year, what I want to say this morning is that we need to specifically open ourselves up this year to God breaking through in power. I think this is the year for us to become more intentional about living in a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. This is the year for us to ask for God for more of the gifts of the Spirit and to cultivate the character and the virtue we need to steward those gifts. This is, we need to ask God in earnest for more supernatural demonstrations of His power. And why am I singing, singling out power? Two reasons. The first is our church culture. Power is really the aspect of God's kingdom we as a church have the least experience with. We, have, we love the word. We have strong biblical preaching consistently. We have a heart for justice, for serving our neighbors in the city. Could we do more? Should we do more? Yes, we should. No question. Can't stop. But power, I think if our church were to open up to more of the Holy Spirit, to a greater culture of prayer and dependence and hearing from God and seeing the supernatural at work weekly, healing and prophecy and miracles. If these were normal in the life of our church, I think it'd be a game changer. And so does the rest of the leadership of the church. So does Pastor Andrew, so do the elders. And so it's why we're hitting refresh this month on First Seek. And so we've been growing in this area no doubt, there's communities in our midst that have been going deeper into the prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Heart is on fire. Pre-service leader gatherings are places where we're making room to listen to God. But what if the whole community was willing to wade into the water? Who knows what God could do? The second reason we have to open ourselves to the power of the Spirit is that our culture needs us to. When we're in a post-Christian secular age people that have been hearing the words of the gospel for two millennia and are still not interested, words are not enough. People aren't listening to our words unless they're backed up 
by deeds and power. And even in Jesus' day, it was the same. It was Jesus' spiritual authority. It was his healing. It was his deliverance ministry. This is what caused the crowds to listen to his teaching. It was a new teaching with authority. But here's the thing about power. It makes us nervous. And it makes us nervous with good reason because power without guardrails is dangerous. Some of us have experienced unhealthy excesses in this area. Prophetic ministry, healing ministry, charismatic church culture. They can not just sometimes go bad, they can go rancid. They can go really bad. And some of us are nervous about that with good reason. The Mars Hill podcast, I don't know if you've heard it. I, I don't know if I would recommend it unless you're interested in a lot of pain. Uh, but it was helpful for me to listen to. A lot of good things happened at Mars Hill, but also a lot of brutally painful stuff. And the hardest part for me to listen to was the part when they talked about their deliverance ministry and the ways that it messed people up really bad. And so it's one thing to be open to power, but power that's not properly channeled and ordered is dangerous. So think about power lines, power wires carrying electricity to your house. If you're not careful, they can kill you. If you touch your breaker box in the wrong spot, it will stop your heart. A frayed wire can burn your house down. My dad was planning to get his house insulated and the people found old school knob and tube wiring in his walls and they're like, we can't blow insulation in your house, it will probably start a fire. Power that's not properly channeled, properly insulated is dangerous. But power is also necessary for life. A house without power is a cold, dark house that nobody wants to live in, especially not in January, especially not in any month. Some churches are like my dad's house. They have faulty wiring. They're an accident waiting to happen. Some churches are in danger of becoming cold and dead, irrelevant to a secular world because there's no power. Nobody wants to see it. Nobody cares. And so the New Testament has two helpful things to show us about how the power of God functions in a healthy revival dynamic in a church. So I want to talk about the two things. First, the power of the Holy Spirit, Scripture shows us that it's a normal part of the revival dynamic. As I said, Jesus performed signs and wonders. The apostles performed signs and wonders. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words. I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And in Paul's letters to the churches, it's obvious he expects the gifts of the Spirit to operate regularly in the life of the church and on Sunday morning. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are all about this. The second thing scripture teaches about power is there's a sweet spot. There's a dynamic, healthy middle ground between extremes in the power dynamic. So Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians who were all about power. They had spiritual gifts operating all over the place so much that the result was almost chaotic, probably was chaotic, even potentially dangerous. And Paul writes them to say, whoa, everyone, Here's how you do it. Don't prophesy all at once. And he gives them rules and guardrails. He gives them insulation for their, the wiring of their church. Here's how you do things decently and in order. Get the wires installed properly so you don't burn your house down. So he gives them instructions, how to speak in tongues, how to prophesy. But note what he doesn't do. He doesn't say stop 
He just says, make sure you do it decently and in order. But Paul writes a very different letter to the Thessalonian church. In the closing chapter, he tells them something totally different. He says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't treat prophecy with contempt. See, the Thessalonians were not in danger of burning their house down. They were in danger of freezing. And so Paul says, stop quenching the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit burn. It's the same apostle, but two very different sets of instructions to two very different churches. But you put it together like 3D glasses at the movie, and you see what Paul sees, a dynamic sweet spot. On the one hand, decent and in order, Corinthians, ground the wires. On the other hand, um, don't quench the spirit. Don't forget to turn on the power, Thessalonians. And so because I'm married to Sarah Cowan Johnson, I made us a two-by-two two grid. So, um, so on the one hand, uh, we don't want to be the Corinthians. Lots of power with no guardrails. And on the other hand, we don't want to be the Thessalonians. Tons of guardrails, but no power. We want to be a church experiencing revival, a healthy revival dynamic, which means the wiring is up to code and there's power in the house. That's what we want to be in the upper right box. And so because I don't think right now we're in danger of charismatic chaos in our church, I want to end this sermon by landing in Paul's words to the Thessalonians I read at the beginning of the sermon. And I want to just look at what they say. So Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. I, I just want to break that down for us. So first, as we start 2022, Paul would say to us, Sanctuary, don't quench the Spirit. This is an imperative. It's a second-person plural. It's a command to the whole community. All of you collectively, stop quenching the Spirit. Another way to translate the word spinumi in the Greek is don't extinguish the Spirit. Don't stifle the Spirit. It's fire language. The Spirit of God wants to burn in our midst this year to bring light and heat. The other month, I went backpacking with my son Noah. It was late in the fall, and we didn't check the weather app before we went. So at night, the time we found out when I got there, oh, it's going to be in the 20s tonight. So luckily, we had good sleeping bags. When we got to the campsite, my son, 11, took off his sweaty clothes, which was good. But he didn't really put on other clothes until he cooled down. And he ended up getting really cold. So I don't know if it was hypothermia, but it was definitely uncomfortable. It was shivering. Uh, he put his new clothes on, but he couldn't warm up. Um, and so I had hoped, oh, maybe we'll just warm up without lighting a campfire. We didn't have kindling. The wood around us was wet. It was going to be a hassle. Here, Noah, maybe have some dinner. Maybe that'll warm you up. But guess what? It didn't work. Sometimes when we're cold and the atmosphere around us is cold, we actually can't warm up on our own. We can't warm up on our own body heat. We need an external heat source. The church these days is cold. And the spiritual atmosphere around us in Providence is cold. And we can't warm up on our own heat. We need fire. We need the external heat and light of the Holy Spirit to infuse our church culture with divine life so that we can burn for Jesus in a cold climate. So Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't extinguish the Spirit. Because even though fire is essential on a cold night, it's easy to put one out. So uh, back to my story, 
uh, we got the fire going and Noah warmed up. But when we left, there was clear instructions, quench the fire. There's a bucket of water under the rain spout on our shelter. And all we had to do to put that fire out was just put a little water on it. And so we quenched that campfire when we broke camp. Paul says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit burn. Let the Spirit heat up your gatherings. Don't dump water on the Spirit. Don't spread the coals out. Keep them together. The Spirit of God burns in between them. And so when we gather, let's allow this here for interaction. Let's allow for response spaces so we can pray for each other and minister to each other. My favorite part of church, by the way, is the interactive part. It's the part where we open up the altar, where we invite people to receive prayer. That's where the magic happens. My favorite part of church is the heart gatherings, the prayer gatherings. And so this month, that's our hope, is to have more intentional response spaces on Sundays. And I just want to invite you to come, to come forward, receive prayer, minister in prayer, let the Holy Spirit burn. Another way to translate the word quench is suffocate. Don't suffocate the Holy Spirit, Paul says. Don't choke the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not the force in Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is a person with a will, with emotions, with intelligence. Treat the Holy Spirit like a person, Paul says, the honored guest in every meeting, the most important person at church. So let's not just talk at God when we pray. Let's listen to Him. He might have something to say. Let's be open to that in 2022. The Spirit wants to speak, to heal, to direct, to do things we didn't plan on. We didn't expect when we gathered. You know, oftentimes I think we quench the Spirit without even knowing we're doing it. We can quench the Holy Spirit with our low expectations. Like when someone's sick or someone's experiencing spiritual oppression and we don't pray for them. When we need help, we don't ask God to intervene. We need wisdom, but we don't stop and ask God, Lord, do you have anything to say? We're denying an opportunity to the Holy Spirit. I think America has a spirit-quenching culture because we're used to being in control of our lives, or at least we're used to the illusion of control in our lives. We're used to being independent. But when we're, we have to be in control, when we can't be dependent, we quench the Holy Spirit. So let's stop doing it. We have to be intentional to not quench the Holy Spirit. We have to make room to listen to God, be open to God changing our plans. And that can feel seriously uncomfortable. One of the most striking elements of every revival is the way the Spirit of God takes control. If you read the, the accounts of the Welsh revival, people described it as the presidency of the Holy Spirit. It happened in Wales, in Azusa Street, in the Great Awakenings, really every revival. So let's not quench the Holy Spirit. Next thing Paul says is don't treat prophecy with contempt. Prophecy can be a freaky word. It can sound like something Gandalf does in Lord of the Rings, but it's not something reserved for wizards or spiritual heroes. Prophecy is a normal part of the life of the church. That's why Paul gives so many instructions in 1 Corinthians. How do you prophesy? It's why he tells the Thessalonians, don't despise prophecy because you need it. It's a part of the complete balanced breakfast of the church. I've heard a lot of sermons in my day. I've preached a lot of sermons. I've forgotten almost as many as I've heard. And you, but you know what never happens? And I'm, I'll forget this sermon, too. 
But you know what I'll never forget? I will never forget a fresh, timely word from God. Those words have changed my life. It was a prophetic word that called me into ministry. At key moments in my life when I didn't know what to do, it was somebody that had a word from God for me that gave me direction, that helped me discover and remember and respond in faith to my calling. When Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And the Greek word for that refers to a timely word from God, the spoken voice of God. One timely word from God is worth a thousand sermons. What if we had a culture in our church where ministering with prophetic encouragement was normal in our weekly interactions? Can you imagine what potential would be released if we practiced the ministry of the Spirit in a healthy, biblical way? If we had words of encouragement and hope and direction? And we need that in 2022 because we are so freaking tired. And so we need prophetic words to help us keep going. And so if this is something you've, you're familiar with or have experimented with, I want to encourage you to lean into it. What if we made a practice this year to try to give, listen for one word for someone else every week? If it's not something you're used to, learn about it. Open yourself up to it. Learn how to hear God's voice. And the last heart service was so beautiful because we opened up space for people to hear from God and Folks had words and they came up. It was decent and in order, submitted the words to Jocelyn, and she had people share, and it was a blessing. So don't quench the spirit and don't despise prophecy. But finally, Paul says, but test them all. Test them. Don't despise prophecy, but test everything. Everything has to be tested. Prophetic words need to be tested. Testing is the insulation on the wires, right? Just because we hear a word doesn't mean it's from God. We test before we share it. We ask God. We say, Lord, is this something you want me to share? Or do you just want me to pray into it? Is this something you want me to share now? Or should I wait for a confirmation? And when we receive a word, we test it. I like to think prophecy is kind of like cooking spaghetti, right? If you want to find out if it's fully cooked, you throw it against the wall and you see if it sticks. If not, put it back in the pot or maybe you put it in the garbage, uh, depending on how clean your wall is. So how do we test prophetic words? First, we test them against Scripture. That's our plumb line for all prophecy. It's our final authority. It's our only perfect rule for faith and practice. If a word contradicts the clear te teaching of Scripture, guess what? It's not from the Spirit. And that's why we need to know the word and we need to know people who know the word of God. Second, we test prophetic words in community. We discern best in community. Someone said the root of all heresy is doing things alone. So who has spiritual maturity and discernment? If you have a word from God, bring it to someone else. Do other mature, sp spirit-filled Christians agree this sounds like Jesus? When I was first learning to hear God's voice, I found a couple people, one of whom is my father-in-law, who I respected, who I knew could discern the voice of Jesus, and I would just share. I would write down what I heard from God, and I would text it to them. And it was incredibly helpful and encouraging when they confirmed it. Finally, you can test prophetic words, and you should, against common sense, because God is a God of order and logic, and so does what you're hearing pass the basic smell test? 
Sometimes God's thoughts and ways are higher than ours, but often, often they're not something we would have thought of. But once we hear, it makes sense. And so just in general, finally, avoid mates and dates. Prophecy is not about telling people specifics of what's going to happen in their life, who they're going to marry, what they're going to do in the future. If God tells you something like this, nine times out of ten, maybe 99 times out of 100, you should exercise discretion. Sit on it. Pray into it. Lives and relationships get ruined by a lack of maturity and discernment on the part of aspiring prophetic ministers. Funny story, by the way. Um, God told my wife that she was going to marry me before we even started dating. And I'm so glad she didn't tell me because uh, that would have messed me up royally. She did tell me the night I proposed, and it was awesome, 18 months later. And so if you're not sure if you're supposed to share the word, be like my wife, wait until you're sure. Test everything. Hold it all loosely. It's not the Bible. You're not Jesus. You're not even John the Baptist. We don't use thus saith the Lord. We deliver words with humility. The tentative posture, hey, I was praying for you. I felt led to share this. Does that mean anything to you? Humbly, gently underhand the spaghetti against the wall. And if it sticks, it's probably from God. If it doesn't, you pick up the tab. Hey, I don't always hear clearly. The most important words in my life, and I suspect our lives, have been and will be prophetic words from God. Critical moments where God's spoken in prayer or through other people. And I think God has more for us. I want us to be a church where this happens all the time, where the Spirit moves and speaks and leads and changes our plan and leads us through the wilderness of 2022 like a pillar of fire. But for that to happen, we have to be open. So a couple invitations as we close. Maybe this is new for you. Would you open yourself up this year to growing in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and hearing God's voice? Some of you have tried listening for prophetic words before. What if this year you committed to a practice? Ask God, Lord, is there any way you want me to encourage this person this week and share what you hear with discernment? Some of us are burned out on this kind of thing. We've seen charismatic excesses in the past. Talk to Jesus about it. Work through your fears. Work through the pain of the past. Metabolize it with Jesus. Any trauma you've experienced in this area and look afresh at the scriptures. Others of you are uncomfortable with this stuff. Ask yourself why. Do the five whys. Why am I uncomfortable? And ask God to open your heart. And then finally, even as we close, some of you right now just need to ask God to give you the gift of prophecy. We just had Christmas, and my kids asked me for stuff for Christmas this year, and I listened to them, and I said, yes, a Lego Star Wars set is a good gift. And if you come and you ask God for the good gift of the Holy Spirit, he's, Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts, especially prophecy, and you ask God with a clean, sincere heart to give you the gift of prophecy, I don't think he'll be able to refuse you. So just ask him. Amen. Lord, I just want to pray a blessing on everyone watching uh, this sermon online right now. Um, I, just, I just bless each of you to have your heart open to more of God. 
that God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything you ask or think, that his dreams and his power are greater than you can imagine. So I just pray for each of our hearts to be open to more of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you want to dwell in us. And so I pray if anyone desires the gift of prophecy, even right now as they ask you, would you grant their request? Lord, and I just pray a blessing of the, of the joy and the peace and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit to grow in each person this year in 2022. In Jesus' name, amen.